Well, 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 friends. Hey, listen, it's Sanchez here. And first off, I want to thank you guys for listening and being subscribed to our podcast. Uh, We could not do this without your support. We could not do this without our Patreon support. And so I want to thank you guys for being consistent and believing and supporting this work that Cedric and I are doing. Now, last week's episode, we talked about the hero's journey and we sat down together and just had this conversation that was extremely powerful. And as promised, we are going to play Cedric's sermon that he communicated to the Watershed uh, family. And I believe that it's going to bless you and it's going to bring some hope to you. So enjoy today's podcast as we listen to our friend, our brother, Cedric Lundy. myself and Blair and Austin all the way in the back, y'all, to like have a room of like faces, albeit masked faces, like actual bodies. This is nice. I could get used to this. My name is Cedric Lundy, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at uh, Watershed, and uh, welcome to my said talk, if you will. Glad that you could join us this morning, but um, yeah. We're in this series, this series where our theme is the hero's journey. And if there is one thing that I really enjoy, it's a good mythology. It's a good fairy tale. It's a good superhero movie or action adventure. And so when I was like looking at being able to preach in this sermon series, I'm like, just put me wherever you want. I am ready so, so ready. So if you recall, the first week, Sean got us started. She introduced uh, the series, just giving us a general overview of the hero's journey. And then last Sunday, Scott Hofert was up covering the first stage, the call to adventure. And today, I will be covering stage two of the hero's journey, the refusal of the call. And just in case you're joining us this week and missed the previous two weeks, allow me to briefly get you up to speed. The hero's journey is an archetype, which is just a lens or a filter through which to explain a pattern, a type of character, or type of story that is represented in literature, film, TV, and shows. The hero's journey is one of the oldest archetypes, one of the oldest story archetypes, The hero storyline is essential to the human experience because as Scott laid out last week, all of us are beckoned to embark on some sort of journey, whether it is one of our own choosing or one the circumstances that we find ourselves in uh, basically in some ways force us to answer the call to that adventure. So uh, it might not be taking the one ring to Mordor. It might not be bringing balance to the force and defeating the evil empire. It might not be saving Zion and mankind from the machines or taking the heart back to Tefiti or preventing, stopping intergalactic madmen from conquering the galaxy. 
The hero storyline is so essential to the human experience that even the most compelling villains are not the ones motivated by greed and an insatiable appetite for power. No, oftentimes, even the, the um, villains mirror some of the same motivation as the hero. Thanos wants to save... Uh, the universe from extinction via overcrowding, as it did on his home planet of Titan. Killmonger wants to rescue the African diaspora from the tyranny of empires, including the empire of Wakanda that is responsible for him having been orphaned and fatherless as a child. Captain Barbosa wants to return all the pieces of Aztec gold so that he can lift the curse. uh, uh, He and his crew can once again be fully human. See, Joseph Campbell, who was the mastermind of the hero's journey, archetype said, the adventure of the hero is the adventure of being alive. We all have an adventure that awaits us. And as soon as we complete one adventure, another adventure always seems to be right around the corner. That's why we have sequels. Some of them a little forced, but an adventure nonetheless. So as I was saying, this week I am tasked with covering the second stage, which is the refusal of the call. And usually this refusal of the call is due to the hero's reluctance uh, to actually go on that journey. Usually their refusal stems from their own fear, but it can also be due to doubt, and usually their doubts in their own ability. Like how Harry Potter doubts his abilities, if he's actually really a wizard or a good wizard at that. That Luke Skywalker initially declines Obi-Wan's invitation for him to go with him to Alderaan to answer Princess Leia's call for help. No, Obi-Wan, it's just not a good time. Uh, I got so much work to do back home, and it's harvest season, and and what does Obi-Wan say to him? You're sounding a lot like your uncle. Bilbo's desire for safety and the comfort of home leads him to initially refuse and hesitate to go on the journey with the dwarves to win back their homeland. That Frodo has had enough adventure after getting the ring as far as Rivendell and just wants to go back home. Thor has this fear of failure that we see uh, manifest itself in Avengers Endgame after his failure in Infinity War and that his refusal goes into this spiral downward where he's just hanging out in this village just drinking and playing Fortnite. (laughs) Han Solo believes the attack on the first Death Star is a suicide mission, not to mention he's got some debts to pay off. Neo doesn't believe he is the one. And he tells the oracle as much. John McClane is too stubborn to simply say, 
I'm sorry and apologize to his wife and make amends with his wife, Holly, and heal the breach in their marriage. Miles Morales, after meeting all these different Spider-Mans from the different corners of the multiverse, does not think he has what it takes to be Spider-Man in his earth, in his world, in his corner of the universe. All these different examples, all these different motivations for different heroes' refusal of the call. It can be due to not wanting to get involved. It can be due to apathy. It can be due to busyness and preoccupation, comfort and not wanting to lose it, financial risk, uncertainty, lack of confidence in self. What will others think? Pride, arrogance, and self-avarice. In Scripture, we see this played out with Moses when he encounters the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Exodus chapter 4, when he comes upon the burning bush and has this conversation with the divine, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is it that is in your hand? He said, a staff, and he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back in your cloak, inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. Problem solved. Nope. He keeps going. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? I did. Oh, he didn't say that. (laughs) Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? I like the way I said it better. Now, therefore, go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please, just send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do these signs. Three different times, right? God, like, eh, I ain't the one. God, you're confused. (laughs) This this is not me. It's not my gig. 
I'm not, I'm not good enough. People won't believe me. I, I, I just don't have the talents for this. Or just plain and simple, I don't want to go. We see this stage so often, whether it be mythologies, ancient or new, but what about even in our own lives? Y'all, today is the five-year anniversary of my first day at Watershed when I came on staff full-time uh, back when I was the pastor of Justice in Teams. But leading up to actually accepting that job and coming here, I was literally stuck trying to figure out what was next. And if I'm being honest, in hindsight, the Lord was really calling me through the broadening of my burdens in ministry to step out of student ministry that I went into believing that that's what I would do indefinitely, possibly for the rest of my vocational career. And I did it for 17 years, and in a way I'm kind of still doing it, but just not in a formal church. But my wife can tell you, I spent a good almost calendar year trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And if I'm being honest, I knew I just didn't believe in myself and I didn't believe that other people would necessarily give me the chance to pursue what I felt like I was being called to do next. But as I was preparing this message for today, again, y'all, big time movie fan. I don't even want to begin to tell you how many movies I have in my collection. My wife and I were sitting and talking about this because, you know, and I get a little excited about a message topic. I'll, I'll process it out loud with my wife or coworkers or friends. And what you guys got to understand is for basically a year since lockdown started, in the Lundy House every Friday, I have gone to the Pizza Depot in downtown Matthews, got a couple of pizzas, maybe some uh, cinnamon sticks for my daughter who always gives me a hard time when I don't pick them up. Daddy, you never get the cinnamon sticks. Yes, I do. And then we go back to the house and we will watch a movie as a family. So over the past year, we have watched everything from Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, the entire MCU, The Mandalorian, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision, Back to the Future, Dark Knight Trilogy, Goonies, Gremlins, Indiana Jones, but I digress. <laughs> As I was processing and brainstorming that evening, we both started to realize something. What we realized that the journey of some of our favorite heroines didn't fit neatly into the hero's journey motif. In particular, we recognize that some of our favorite and most memorable heroines not only don't refuse the call, they are more likely to be denied, rejected, and prevented from answering the call. We never see Katniss or Princess Leia or Captain Marvel or Moana or Mulan refuse the call. If anything, it is others who try to refuse the call for them. 
Katniss within the first three minutes of the movie, because I didn't read the book, volunteers tribute. Princess Leia is usually the one giving the call to others. Captain Marvel is basically waiting for permission to be unleashed. In Moana, it's literally the first song of the movie, Where You Are, which the lyrics in the beginning of the song go like this. Moana, make way, make way. Moana, it's time you knew. The village of Manatui is all you need. The dancers are practicing. They dance to an ancient song. Who needs a new song? This old one is all we need. The tradition, this tradition is our mission. In Moana, there's so much to do. Don't trip on the tarot route. That's all you need. We share everything we make. We joke and we weave our baskets. The fishermen come back from the sea. But in the first few minutes of that movie from the time she is an infant, a toddler, we see her wandering out to the ocean, wandering out to go on that great adventure that she is called to go on. She receives the heart of Tafiti. And it's her father who quickly comes, swoops in, gathers her up, takes her back to the village and starts to prepare her to stay there perhaps for the rest of her life. While the other children are scared to death of the stories of the monsters that are out there that her grandmother is telling them about, she's sitting there gleefully excited. Back in 1990, a scholar by the name of Maureen Murdoch, who was a student of Joseph Campbell's work, wrote The Heroine's Journey, Woman's Quest for Wholeness as a Response to Joseph Campbell's Model. Murdoch, a student of his work, felt his model failed to address the specific psycho-spiritual journey of contemporary women. She developed a model describing the cyclical nature of the female experience. Campbell's response to her model was, which this is what uh, uh, Sean alluded to uh, two weeks ago. This is what Campbell said about it. Women don't need to make the journey. In the whole mythological, mythological tradition, the woman is there. All she has to do is realize that she's the place that people are trying to get to. Basically, she's the one waiting at home. That may be true mythologically, as the hero and heroine seeks illumination, but psychologically, the journey of the contemporary heroine involves different stages. And as you can see, there was a slide up a moment ago that showed the different stages for the heroine's journey. The heroine's journey begins not with the call of adventure, but it begins with the initial separation from feminine values, seeking recognition or success in the patriarchal culture and experiencing spiritual death and turning inward to reclaim the power and the spirit of the sacred feminine and turning inward to reclaim the power and spirit of the sacred feminine. The final stages involve the acknowledgement of the union and power of one's dual nature. For the myths, Murdoch illustrates an alternative journey model to that 
of patriarchal hegemony, it has become a template for novelists and screenwriters shining a light on 20th century feminist literature. So we see just those first two, spa- uh, two movements, specifically in Hunger Games with Katniss. At the very beginning, she is separating from the feminine in the fact that her father has passed away and she has had to fill the role of her father in her household. That she is dressed in masculine garb, goes out into the wilderness on the hunt, and there she meets her friend who is not a love interest at this point, but someone that is an ally that she goes out on the hunt with. And then when they have the reaping, like I mentioned earlier, she does not hesitate to volunteer to be tribute when it's her sister's name that is called. There is no refusal of the call. If you go to Merida in Brave, like when she receives her bow and arrow from her father as a child, like that's the happiest day of her life. And immediately we get this montage of her riding on a horse, shooting arrows, not missing a target, riding up the mountains and going right in through the waterfalls. We see that separation from the feminine and integration into the masculine. And that oftentimes, again, there's these other people, namely Merida's mother, who is trying to prevent her from answering the call. Now, you might find it interesting that I really seem really passionate about how that hit experiencing and discovering that there is this heroine's journey. And here's the reason why it really resonates for me, too. Because as a black man in America, I am rarely ever depicted as the hero. And I actually found more resonance in the heroine's journey than I did in the hero's journey. Because, again, in a lot of ways, instead of it being a separation from the feminine, for black Americans and other minorities of color in America, it's a separation from our racial and ethnic diversity and culture and integration into whiteness. That it's an identification with whiteness in the gathering of allies. And again, just for clarity's sake, when I say whiteness, I don't mean white people. What I mean by whiteness is that project that demanded of people or invited of people of European descent to take off their ethnic and cultural identity from their native lands in Europe to put on whiteness and thrust race upon people of color, people who are considered non-white and strip them of their humanity. And so in a lot of ways, for me, The hero's journey over the last five years has been me going literally through an almost life, death, resurrection of my own self, my own identity, my own place in the world, my own calling, and what that looks like. And y'all, it has not always been easy, but I am so glad that I answered the call, that I didn't continue to refuse the call. 
that despite the fact that there was people there who maybe tried to refuse the call for me, there were also people who encouraged me to go on that journey, to go on that adventure, and were allies along the way. So my point this morning, the reality is regardless of our gender, our race, our class, our ableness, we are all on a journey. There is a call that beckons a journey that awaits us. Whether you are refusing the call or others are refusing it for you, answer the call. Go on the endeavor. Discover who your mentors, mentors are. Who is your Gandalf? Who is your Obi-Wan? Who is your fairy godmother? Who are the wisps lighting your path to mend the bond? Oh, and by the way, watch out for tricksters. Watch out for the Lokis. It's my wife's favorite character. And Schmeagle, which I, I'm going to refrain from doing an impersonation. But y'all, we need both the Moseses, the folks who are struggling internally with whether or not they're good enough to go ahead and answer the call, but we also need the Egyptian midwives who, despite Pharaoh's command, decided to answer the call to keep those babies alive. We need the Moseses who goes before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Let my people who have been oppressed in your nation, in your empire, go so they can be one with God, so they can be free, so they can go to this land of milk and honey and create something new. But as Austin Channing Brown reminded us three years ago, we also need the Moses' mothers who decide to keep their child's birth a secret. We need the Pharaoh's daughters who decide to use her privilege to go ahead and take in this child and save him from death and be ultimately his mother. And we need the Miriams who are willing to put their lives right in the path of power, risk their own lives to speak up. But yo, we also need people who are just brave enough to take that next courageous step. Like we heard in your story this morning. We need people to answer that call in their vocation, in their home, in their community. Whatever it is, answer that call. And if you're a person that's getting in the way, get out of the way. Allow me to close this in prayer. Reminder that after the service, uh, we're going to head over to Pizza Peel and hang out, have some good food. And again, it's great to see so many faces here, see the folks outside. It's great to be together again. Thanks for coming to my said talk. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you. I want to thank you most specifically that 
the Christ answered the call. I think of that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed, Lord, if you will, take this cup from me. That even the Christ in that moment has this moment where he is ready and willing to refuse the call. And yet, he did not. May we receive the same kind of guidance, whether it be divine, mysterious guidance, or guidance from friends and family, mentors, allies, to answer the call. May we be willing, despite our own insecurities, to take that first step. To go, like Sam Wise Ganji said, further than I've ever gone before. And discover that there's more to us, more to our own humanity and the humanity of others, waiting.